0: Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We serve a big God, don't we? Last week we started a series and I just asked this question at the end of the at the end of the sermon, I just said, who was hungry for breakthrough? Who was hungry for breakthrough? Who was, who was needing God's breakthrough in this moment? And, and I know that that thought probably lingered last week, and, and I kind of took you to a point, and I believe God just kind of took us to a point, and now we're going to continue on and to see what it is that God has for us. But I want you to know, if you're hungry for breakthrough, I, one of the things that we can tend to think is if we're hungry for breakthrough, that we're the only ones hungry for breakthrough. So just by show of hands, who would just be honest and say, I'm hungry for breakthrough for something? Raise your hand. Raise your hand and look around. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Many of us are hungry for a breakthrough. There's a, a amazing story that originates back to 1949, and it was a revival. It's one of the most prominent revivals that actually happened in the 20th century, and it didn't happen in this country. It happened in a little section of islands called the Hebrides Islands right outside of Scotland. And it happened on this little bitty island, and and there was two ladies who were hungry for a move of God. So they started interceding. Now, they were young. One was 82 and one was 84. (laughs) They're two sisters The 82-year-old, her name was Peggy, she was completely blind. The 84-year-old, her name was Christine, and she couldn't stand up tall, and she was bent over with arthritis. So they didn't get out much, but what they could do is they could intercede. And they were so burdened about the condition of the churches and the church that they were in, and they were so hungry for God, they knew that God had more on offer, but they knew that there was something not happening in the church, and they needed a breakthrough. They desired a breakthrough. Not just for their their own sake, but for the sake of the church, and for the sake of Christ, and for the sake of those who who would receive the message and get saved because of maybe, if perhaps a breakthrough came through. These two ladies, they interceded, and it's interesting because the time of day that they would intercede was in the middle of the night. Two to three nights a week, they would actually intercede from 2 p.m. to 3 a.m. Now, why that is, I don't know. Maybe these are just desperate hours for desperate people. I'm not really sure. But they were asking and they were contending God and they were interceding on behalf of their church and they were waiting and they knew that God could move and they were waiting for God to move. So they went and they petitioned God over and over and over again for several weeks. And as they petitioned God, then then words started getting out that they were praying and that other people started to pray. And they started to actually pray for breakthrough as well. And they were meeting in unheated buildings in the, mid, in the dead of winter. And they're also praying at that time of night. And they're all interceding at the same time. All asking for the same thing. Nothing for themselves, but for the church and for Christ. And they were asking specifically that God would bring Revival. They had seen the glory days in the church. They had seen the glory in their life. And they were asking God for revival. One of the deacons at the time, he stood up to read this passage from Psalm 24, 3 and 5. And it reads like this. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Then he prayed this prayer. God, are my hands clean? Is my heart pure? And then on that particular night at about 3 o'clock in the morning... The Spirit of God gripped a group of people, not only within the church, but also within the community, and others even outside of that immediate community, and they were gripped by the power of God, and they didn't know what was going on, and they didn't know how to explain it, but yet there was a a spiritual movement that happened at 3 a.m. It was the next day that those people had started to talk about what it was that God was doing, and then... Those dear ladies went to their pastor and they said, Pastor, we had a vision. I know some of you are uncomfortable, me even talking about this, and I'm okay with you being uncomfortable. Because maybe the fact that you're so comfortable is the problem for you. And maybe the reason why you're not seeing mountains moved is because you're so comfortable in your faith and you don't believe that God still does do these things. But they had a vision of there was an unknown pastor who would then come into that church. And you know what the actual pastor of the church did? He said, well, let me see into it. He didn't get territorial. He didn't get frustrated. He just said, well, let's, let's pursue this. So they did, and they pursued, that pastor pursued another gentleman by the name of Duncan Campbell. I have a picture of the, the three of them together, the two ladies and Duncan Campbell altogether. So they asked Duncan Campbell to come and, and to maybe be about a revival that was gonna be happening at the church because they sensed this spiritual movement, but, but there was this vision that the pastor would have, that there was gonna be an unknown pastor who's gonna come into town. The ladies didn't know who it was. So he eventually comes into town. Uh, about 10 days later is by the time he gets there, but yet they're still hungry for revival. It isn't just a, a splash effect. They're still hungry. They're still desiring. He came into town, and they asked Duncan Campbell, hey, when you get into town, go right to the church, and want you, we want you to preach. No time to relax. It doesn't really, like, you may be tired, but you have more important things to do. You need to be there. He got in at about 10 o'clock that night. So He preached. And he just preached a normal type of message and then the service concluded and there was the official conclusion and nothing happened and nothing happened and nothing happened. And then eventually after the service concluded, there were some people still milling around the church and then they started to hear a ruckus out the back door of the church and there were people at the back door of the church. Then they were curious about coming into the church. And instead of saying the service is over, they sensed that God was doing something. And this may be the signs of God's continual revival. So they invite people into the church. And now there's a whole stir, a whole spiritual stir that's happening. And it's, it's bigger than what they are, but they don't even know all of what was going on. They didn't know What was happening, but they just sensed that the Spirit of God was just hovering over that place at that time. And they sensed that there was going to be breakthrough. They didn't know what else to do. But yet people believed that, okay, God's doing it. God's doing it. God's doing it. Breakthrough's here. Breakthrough's here. Breakthrough's here. God's going to continue this work that he started. By the time midnight hit, the church was crowded out. That same evening, by the way there was a dance party that was going on at a dance hall. And at the same time of the spiritual movement that was happening at the back door of the church that now burst into the church, at that same time, the dance ended because the spirit of God hovered over that group of people and many of them prayed and were repenting of their sins and didn't know what else to do. So they actually came to the church. So now there's a whole community that's engulfed in, in the midst of this revival. All because an 82-year-old and an 84-year-old, these two women were believing, petitioning, interceding on behalf of their church and their pastor and their people and their God. And God showed up. And it existed, all of this happened until 4 a.m. They just kept the party going. As Duncan Campbell was leaving the church service at 4 a.m. on the night that he got there, He heard that there was something else that was going on at the police station there in town. So on his walk to the police station, he heard of another disturbance. There was people all amongst the road at the police station, about 100 people at the police station, and all along the road, all of them praising God, some of them repenting of their sins and confessing their sins to God openly. No evangelist, no preacher, no songs, no worship, no call to worship, just the Holy Spirit because two ladies decided that they were going to pray, and they prayed believing that God would bring a revival. Duncan Campbell, years later, about three years later, after the revival happened, after thousands of people got saved, he said this about the revival. He said, we may organize and we may may plan, but until we get on our faces and do business with a covenant-keeping God, we shall not see revival. We can have our conventions and our conferences, recalling the wonderful times we have had, But what we want and desperately need is a fresh manifestation of the mighty power of God, bringing men into conviction over sin and causing them to seek our Savior. Church, this is what I'm after. This is what I hope God breaks your heart for. Not just contending for who's here but for contending for who's not here, contending for the name and fame of Jesus Christ, that people would change, but it begins here. Just as the example of these 82, this 82 and 84-year-old dear old ladies, believing, petitioning, interceding ladies, they're praying on behalf of others, but yet the movement of God, the revival started within the church. And that's where revival starts. I believe the most common error today is for people not asking for revival. Maybe they fear what revival will bring or the change that it will bring. But I say let the doors fly open. Let us have so many people in this place, so many people curious and falling on their face before Almighty God that we have to half-cheek all these seats because we have so many people in here and no places to sit. You ever have cheek before? It's uncomfortable. <laughs> I hope it happens. You see, mountain moving prayers, they have certainty and confidence, and they lead to courage. These two ladies, they had a certainty and they had a confidence that God could because they knew that he has. And they also were courageous to go to their pastor and say, hey, we sense God's doing something, but it maybe not through you. There's another uncomfortable unseen they had not even seen his face pastor who we think needs to be a part of this and the pastor with with humility no pride no hubris no ego says I think you're right ladies you've heard from God I've heard from God let's bring him in let's see what God's going to do thousands of people got saved because of their obedience you see it's the same with you and I as we go into this passage of scripture in Matthew 6 verse 9 I don't want you to think that the model prayer is just some rote prayer. Maybe, it's, maybe that's been your faith background, and it was my faith background. Up until third grade, I went to a particular faith group where we prayed this prayer all the time. But I'll be honest with you, I have no idea why I was praying it. I just prayed it because I was told to pray it. It didn't have life to me. It didn't have power to me. It didn't connect me to God. It, just, it was just words. They were just rote words. So I would just say these things because everybody else in the crowd said those things. And when somebody in authority says, hey, say these things, I was one to comply and I said those things. But yet it did not have power. But I want you to know that although I was blind, I want you to be able to see these words have power. Because these words come from Jesus. These aren't just rote words that we say as some sort of spiritual experience. These words are a way for us to connect to the person of Jesus so that we can access the power of God. In Matthew 6, verse 9, I apologize. We're only going to get through four words today. And this message, you're going to think, is a lot longer than four words. But that's where we are. Verse 9 says, this then is how you should pray. I mentioned that last week. And notice how the prayer begins. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. The model prayer, Jesus' prayer, the, the prayer that he goes to his disciples in us and he, he allows us to pray has power and it begins very simply with our Father in heaven. The beginning point of many amazing things in your life begins right here with our Father in heaven petitioning the God of heaven to bring heaven to earth so that you can Have access and use the authority, the God-given authority through Jesus in your life to bring heaven to earth. Notice it begins with our, our Father, our. It's an interesting notion because what Jesus is, is showing us amongst many things, but one of the things that he's showing us is this, Though this prayer is personal to you, it's also not just so personal to you that it's just about you and God because it's our Father in heaven, which means that you're not alone when you pray. This is actually a comforting notion to think that you're not alone. When we lived in Dublin, Georgia, one of the best things about Dublin that I found as soon as we got there was this this thing they they called the daddy-daughter dance. And it was put on as a fundraiser for Habitat for Humanity. It was great. And so in it, I don't even remember how much you paid, but you paid a little bit of, of money, and it was, it was just a great experience of going in there. And Gracie, our daughter, she would get all dressed up. I would get dressed up, and we would go in, and I would, I would treat it. We would, that would be a date night for us, and we would go have dinner somewhere that she chose, someplace ritzy, like Chick-fil-A or Zaxby's or something. <laughs> have some chicken and fries, a little bit of sauce, you know, some sweet tea. It's like that's, that's what we would do, and we would start out on these little date nights, and, and we would eventually end up at the daddy-daughter dance. And it was incredible to me because I, when you go in there, there's hundreds of, of dads and daughters. And there were, even, there, there were even men with kids not of their own, which I thought was also outstanding just so little girls could have an experience even if dad is not in the picture. And I remember seeing it was just such a a mixed view of our community because it was there there were black folks and white folks and Hispanic folks and other folks, and it was just of all ages, some some very well-dressed, some in jeans and just T-shirts and just everything in between, some rich, some poor. You could see some guys just got off work and they're still in their uniform, but they're there but they're there with their daughters, and it was predictable when we would go to the daddy-daughter dance, and we went many years until Gracie kind of aged out of it, but, and I wanted to keep going, but you know, when you're 16, it gets weird, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how old she was, but I, I could have just kept going, um, but I just loved the experience so much, but it was always so predictable when we would, when we would go in. They would start out, and they would have songs, and There'd be very few people on the dance floor. It was just like in middle school. You remember middle school dance, right? It's like they start the music, but but no one goes out there. Everybody's against the wall. Dads were. We were the worst for this. And then eventually, you get that, that person who goes out there and it's like, oh, good. I'm not going to be the only one or whatever. And then and then you trickle out. And then you have guys like me who, after the dance floor is full, then I'm like on the outskirts. It makes it kind of look like I'm dancing, kind of not. It's kind of like I could be sitting in a moment's notice. I was that guy. Because uh, I don't really, I don't really dance, but nothing against it. I just my upper body and lower body doesn't work at the same time. <laughs> I either get one or the other, but but not, not at the same time. It was interesting because the song choice that they, they would have during the daddy daughter dance too. They would always have every song that would make a dad cry about his little girl. Every one, Wh- whatever it doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't. It doesn't really matter. It's like. You're going to hear every song that makes dads cry. And it's like, and all the little girls are like, dad, why are you crying? It's like, I don't know. Because <laughs> you're like visualizing the day you send them off, you know. Some may be celebrating that. I don't know, but I wasn't. But for me, it was also an interesting thing because as the night progressed, more people would have courage and they would get on the dance floor. And then at some point, they would end up in the cha-cha slide. At some point. And again, I'm on the outskirts. I had no courage when I was in there by myself. But I took on some courage when I wasn't the only one out there by myself. There's an interesting thing that happens. Our takes the attention away from me. See, the reason why I didn't just jump out on the dance floor myself is because then all the attention's on me and all they see is me. And when Jesus is beginning the model prayer with our, what he's doing is he's taking the attention away from us and he says it's our. In other words, there's a whole community of faith. It isn't just you and your walk with Jesus. There, there is a walk with Jesus that is vertical, but there's also a walk with other people that's horizontal at the exact same time. You cannot grow in one without growing in the other. Which is why I always question if somebody says, oh, I have a strong walk with God. And I would say, all right, well, well tell me what you're doing in your local church. I don't, I don't serve in the church. I don't even go to church. I'm like, really? You don't have a strong walk with God. What you just said is, is, is untrue. You, you can only have a strong walk with God vertically if you always, also have healthy relationships horizontally. It's just the way that it is. Our takes the attention away from me. Our Father invites Christians into a community of love because God always wants to expand our community of love. Ephesians 2, 19 and 20 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You see, we come to God who is a community of love, Father, Son, Spirit. And he forms a community of love through us. So we come to God who is a community of love, Father, Son, Spirit. And through Jesus, he forms a community of love through us. Which is why when Jesus begins his prayer, he's reminding us this isn't just about you. One of the most popular prayers of all time is found in John 17. I invite you to turn to John 17, verse 20 and 26. This is Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's three different main uh, ways or sections of this prayer. For the first part of the prayer, he begins by praying about himself. The second is he prays for his disciples, the the original disciples are with him. And then the third is what we see in verse 20, where he actually is praying for you and I. And this is what Jesus prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who would believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's three key things I want to draw from this passage. The first thing I draw from verse 21, that Jesus wants something for us and that's unity. He wants something for us. Jesus never wants us to quabble and, and just argue over petty and inconsequential things, ever. He doesn't want us to debate what color the wall should be, what color the carpet we should, we should have, or what kind of chairs we should be sitting in, or what kind of food that we should have at a potluck. None of these things matter to God. They don't. And when they matter so much to us that we're willing to argue and fuss and fight, that is disunity in the family of God. This is not of the Lord. Jesus wants something for us. He wants unity. He also wants something through us. Three different verses references: Verse 21, verse 23, and 26 all reference this. Jesus wants something through us, and that's an impact. He wants the way that, that we live and how we love one another to shine to those who don't know God. And, they want it to, and, and God wants it to make a difference in our lives so that some will be impacted and reached with the gospel message. And Jesus wants something for himself. He wants glory. Verse 24, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you've given me because you've loved them before the creation of the world. You see, this quest for glory, significance, power, authority, it's built up in the heart of every individual. And it's, it falsely reveals itself through pride and ego and division and disunity within the body of Christ. Jesus was actually... Tempted in this way, in the third temptation of Jesus, in Matthew 4, 8-11, this is what it says. Next, the devil took him, took him, being Jesus, to the peak of the very high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it to you, Satan says, if you kneel down and worship me. Jesus says this, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say you must worship the, the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Jesus was tempted with a sense of false glory, and we also are tempted with senses of false glory, and it's it's for us to, to do things for our own significance. But notice the model prayer began with our. Our. I would say this, beware of offers that promise things that God never has promised. All of these build up ego and pride and hubris and end up in disunity in the body of Christ. Beware of offers like having super results. Like if you just raise your kids this way, and this is the only way to raise your kids, but if you raise your kids this way, there's a guarantee that it'll always work out that way. Where if you follow these methods, you're guaranteed results. But you ain't getting your money back, trust me on that one. Or if you watch these videos, or if you read these books, or if you follow that guru, also beware of something that it guarantees instant results, especially when it comes to spiritual things, because spiritually you are saved in a moment when you confess and repent of your sins. You're saved in a moment, but, he, but you walk with Jesus for the rest of your life to have, more, to have your sins basically to, to be walking in the cleansing that you've received upon your salvation. So spiritual growth is is not instant. Those results aren't instant. Beware of anything that says get rich quick. Also recognition and importance. This being the quest to be your own boss or or to be the boss, to get famous, to have followers, to get more likes. All of these things end in in a pathway to where it's, it's not building up a community of love, but instead it's building up the kingdom of self. Beware also of anything, even within Christianity, that that says that you can have something without suffering. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So beware of any of these things because all of them tend to a false sense of significance, a false sense of glory. And if Jesus was tempted in his third temptation, the third main temptation that we know from Matthew 4, if he was tempted in that way, don't you think we would be tempted in a way that Satan wants to try and trap us? The answer, of course, is yes. But to know the power of God, you must first know the person of Jesus. Notice... The next word, Father, our Father. That could be translated in a bunch of different ways, some of which makes people feel uncomfortable. To me, it's reassuring because it's not Father in a rigid way. It's not Father in a way that is like Father, like he's standoffish. Instead, it's more of an intimate word in the original language. It's more of the word of of Daddy or Papa. It's a word of intimacy, that God is... He wants to be personal with us. He longs to be connected to you relationally. But notice that Jesus is teaching his disciples who they're praying to. Who they're praying to. And I think sometimes what we tend to do as well is is when we, we think of God as Father, we try and we project the pain that our Father gave to us upon God the Father. Whatever that pain was, that distance, maybe he wasn't available. Maybe it was harsh words. Maybe he was just busy. And maybe that drove you crazy. And maybe you just longed for times of connection with your earthly Father. And don't think for a second. And don't project what happened with your earthly Father onto your heavenly Father because he is not like that. He is not like that at all. God is interruptible. He is accessible. He's welcoming. And he lives in town. I I found this quote amongst my study and I loved it. God is interruptible, accessible, welcoming, and he lives in town so you can come to him at any time. You see, prayer is not striving through willpower or sitting in personal reflection. Prayer is bringing your request to God, knowing and believing that he cares, knowing and believing that he is listening, and knowing and believing that he may respond even in the way that we pray, especially if we pray in accordance with his will. I'll illustrate it in this way. I need you guys to use your imagination, okay? Can you click it on for me? Click it on. Imagination. Click. You got it clicked on? Imagine there's a waterfall right behind me. It's, it's breathtaking. It's amazing. It's just picturesque. And, and there's me, and then there's, I'm with a friend, and my friend is right here. My friend is actually looking at the waterfall, but I'm looking at him. It's a completely different experience if I'm looking at him looking at the waterfall, is it not? I mean, I could be drawn in a little bit. He's like looking at the waterfall and I could see his pupils enlarge when he's looking at the mass of the waterfall and he's looking just maybe the volume of the water rolling over the rocks or, or maybe as he's just kind of sitting there and he shifts his, just his, his posture, his body posture shifts a little bit when he's, he's thinking about the force of the water as it's striking the rocks and just spraying. I mean, I could be looking at him and I could be having that experience, but isn't it so much more of a significant experience if I actually turn and look at the waterfall myself? When Jesus is, is giving up the model prayer... The disciples were curious about Jesus' prayer life, so the disciples are looking at Jesus. So instead of just the disciples looking at Jesus to say, Jesus, oh, tell us about your prayer life. Instead, what Jesus does, he says, don't look at me. He says, look up. That way, you can possess the power of God, the same power that I have that is on offer for disciples. Then and now. The same authority that Jesus was was praying with under the the power of the Holy Spirit is the same power that streams through believers' lives today and it's the same power that, that we have access to today. So Jesus did not want them to be content nor us to be content with looking at someone else as they're looking up. Instead, Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Go to Your Father, our Father in heaven. In other words, don't just look at me. He says, Look up. Pray to the Father. He cares. He's welcoming. He's accessible. He knows and He's near. Notice it's our Father. God is not the manager of an orphanage, you are not an orphan. If you're in Christ, you're a child of God. You're not an orphan. You're not an orphan. You're not alone. There's a doctrine that we bump up against in this passage, and I just want to say a couple things about before I finish It's the doctrine of adoption. I'm going to go through this fast, but the scripture sources will be on the screen. You can write them down if you're curious to do so. But I just want this word just to wash over you because I know somebody needs to hear it this morning. Adoption was planned by God the Father. Galatians 4 says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to to buy freedom for us while we were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you're no longer a slave, a slave to sin, but also God's own child. And since you're his child, God has also made you an heir. The adopted are called God's children. 1 John 3, one. see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know Him. If you want to know the power of God, you must know the person of Jesus. Adoption is made possible by Jesus, Ephesians 1.5 says, for He chose in He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. One more. The adopted are joint heirs with Christ. And since we are his children we are are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ we are heirs of God's glory. But we are but we are to share his glory, we must also, but to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. God cares. God knows. God is curious about your life. God doesn't want you to be spiritually bored. He wants you to be spiritually alive. He wants you to go to him and, and ask and petition him. He's curious as to, to what, how you feel. He's curious as to what's going on in your life. He wants you to, in his own words from Matthew 7, 7 through 12, he wants you to ask, seek, and knock. He wants you to petition him. He wants you to call out to him. He wants you, and he invites you, A, for him to be your father if you don't know him, but if you do know him personally, he invites you to bring your fear to him. You can bring your grief to him. You can bring your victories to him. You can bring your kids to him. You can bring your struggles to him. You can bring your marriage to him. You can bring your kids to him. You can bring your future to him. You can bring everything to him and know that he cares. You see, those dear ladies, when they're petitioning God and they're asking for revival, It wasn't flowery. They were doing it alone. They were in their own home at a time that other people weren't even there to notice. And it wasn't until God started to speak that they actually shared the message to their pastor, and then other people started to take notice. But once it did, the community of love grew from revival. It's the way that God operates today. Would you stand? Have you been hesitant to bring things to God in the past? Have you maybe even struggled with worthiness, to say, "I just, I'm not, I'm not even worthy of praying." Yes, I've gotten saved, but I'm still, I'm kind of wallowing right now because of what I've done. And I've, I just can't get out of my own, my own mind and my own heart. I can't get away from the things that I've done. You're not worthy because I say so. You're worthy because God says so. Because if you're in Christ, he's adopted you. You are no longer a slave to sin. Now you're a child of God. And as a child of God, walking in repentance, because you know the person of Jesus, you can access the power of God. What is it that you're asking God for this morning? Is there a fear that has kept you captive? Maybe you're struggling, you're just confused. Maybe now, today, you just... You need to have the courage, but you can have the courage because now you have the confidence and certainty that God cares and that God's listening and that he is indeed your father. Maybe the courageous act for you this morning is to to come forward, to receive some ministry, but also just to pray to God. What is it that you need to bring to God? Don't delay. If God has impressed upon you, maybe a burden that you're carrying, Maybe it's time that you allow somebody else to carry that. Maybe it's just a time that you just leave it at the altar. Don't leave until you do what it is that God is telling you to do. And then he promises he will do. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for the, the confidence that we have in you. The reassurance that we receive in the word. And the love that you're forming. I pray, Lord, that, that you would even help the unbelief of the people in the room or people who are listening. Maybe they've been thrown off because of what was talked about in that, the, the revival story at the beginning. And they've been thrown off the whole time of thinking, I just don't know if I believe that. I just don't know if I believe that God does do that. It's all throughout the book of Acts. You did those things over and over and over and over again. And why would you stop? God, you didn't change. Maybe we just turn the channel. And God, let us turn it back to you. Ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move in a true and authentic and fresh way today. Revive what's dead. Bring new people to life. Amen.